If you've been with us last week, you know that we've kind of pivoted from Easter and the power of the resurrection and all that that means to the life that we are called to live uh, in the wake of that wonderful event. And it's a way of God, it's a way for God to take what he sees in us and to transform us through the good news of the gospel. And I love to look at the gospel in terms of uh, good news. I think all of us do. Uh, but oftentimes we focus a lot on what we are saved from and not so much on what we are saved for. And this whole message series is that something better that God has saved us for and what that really means. And today as we explore that a little bit deeper, we're probing into the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 1 because I, I sincerely believe that the opening verses of the book of Ephesians, most of that, that chapter, if I were to tell somebody... Uh, what the gospel means, I would say just read that first chapter in Ephesians and you can see all of the wonderful things that God has done for you and I. And he's just showered upon us the substance of everything that Christ did on the cross. And this is how we did it. And I'd like to start off just by reading uh, these, uh, some verses from uh, that chapter that uh, include uh, 9 through 14 as we focus on those verses this morning. And here's what Paul wrote. Paul's writing to a church uh, in Ephesus, a church that his young protege, Timothy, uh, whom he has been mentoring for quite a while, uh, is it responsible for. And uh, obviously, like any church, uh, we, we all struggle to get it right sometimes. And he's helping Timothy to get his bearings so that he can teach and preach and build the church in a way that they truly are living out all of the, all the fullness of the gospel. So here's what we read. With all wisdom and insight... He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the, his counsel and will. So that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, and this is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. And I have to tell you, I could spend a year just talking about all the stuff that Paul packed into those, into those five verses, but I only wanted to highlight a few things from that. And that is the mystery of God's will has been revealed to you and I. And it is part of a plan that God set into motion all the way back in Genesis 3 when he looked at the state of affairs when Adam and Eve began their act of rebellion and whenever uh, they were there in the garden and things were going well and then things went completely off the rails. And the sadness that 
probably came over the Lord uh, had to have been unimaginable. That which was designed to glorify him, his creation, people made in his image, now are living in a place where their existence is quite honestly pretty subhuman. They actually didn't become better, they, they, they downgraded their lives became somewhat subhuman. And it is in the wake of that that you and I also live. And every day we struggle with who we are in the inheritance and in the redemption that we have in God. And who we were in that old pattern of how we used to live. And the fact of the matter is, it, it affects how we live every day. And I think just to highlight the point a little bit, I wanted to go back to Genesis 3 real quickly and, uh, and describe the circumstance. And in that, uh, in, in, in Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10, uh, this is what happened sadly. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that really is the basis for how we start off the message today. Because whenever Jesus came and did what he, he, he was purposed to do, it was to deal with that. The fact that we were hiding from God, and the more we hid the more it was taking us down and, and dehumanizing us and actually affecting every good relationship in our lives. But the reality is, since Jesus has done all that he's done, since he's changed things, we are called to live in this new identity. And Paul was trying to get this point across to Timothy, who was his young protege, uh, a person who is all, all in for the gospel, but a person who also has his own issues and his own wounds. Living in a family that it would appear by the storyline that his father who was Greek isn't even in the picture anymore. And his mother and grandmother are playing the role of father and mother trying to nurture him up. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to get this straight. You have a new identity in who you are as a believer. And I want you to help the congregation to understand that. But I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't even fully understand what it means to live under the new identity. However, I did get a chance as I traveled down to uh, Georgia and back uh, to uh, experience that a little bit uh, because um, uh, w- when we were ordering the plane tickets, um, uh, my, my middle initial is J, and uh, I, Brittany or Tom assumed that my, that meant my middle name was James. So I got my plane ticket for my boarding pass, and I looked at it, and it said this, Leonard James Moore. And I, I'm like, I almost hit a moment of panic because I'm like, uh, my middle name is Jay, just J-A-Y. But then, you know, I thought, I'm just going to go with it. On this trip, I'm James. 
And I've never been at James before, but I thought it would be kind of fun. And uh, so we were at Chick-fil-A getting ready to leave our, uh, our, our, our conference. And we were in the airport, and we just got a little window of time to eat. And when we went up to the cash register, they asked what my name was. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to be James. So I said, my name's James. And they said, okay. They wrote it down. So I go and I wait on the other side of the queue for uh, my name to be called. And the first name that I hear is Jim. And I'm like, all right, is that me or not? I've never been James before, so I'm not sure how that works. But I said specifically James. So then they call a few more names, and then they call another name, Jimbo. And I'm like, holy cow, are they just having fun? Or are they, you know, playing? And so I'm waiting and waiting for Jimbo to show, and I kid you not, Jimbo shows, and there was a couple other names given. I must have had a special order because they were just, they kept working on it, working on it. There was a Jamie, and I'm like, dude, did they confuse it there? And I'm starting to panic because I'm thinking, this whole new identity thing is a little bit tricky. Uh, it's harder to navigate. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And I literally waited five minutes after that thinking, okay, somehow they're on to me or something. But eventually they said that sweet sound, James. And I'm like, That's, th- that would be me. This is my boarding pass. It says I'm James. Thankfully, I got pegged in TSA for trying to carry contact solution on there. My biggest fear was, are they going to look at my boarding pass and say, you're not James, and then probably take me to a back room and never see me again. <laughs> well, thankfully, here I am. Uh, and I, I, I've, uh, I've laid that identity down. I'm just Leonard J., uh, but sometimes uh, maybe I'll have some fun with that in the future. Uh, however, uh, with that new identity uh, that we've been set apart with, it also has given us a new rule for how we engage with other people. And the thing is, whenever we engage with other people and we are hiding, it doesn't always go so well because we're not always the person that we need to be. And this is a problem, believe it or not, and uh, it's an issue that Jesus had to deal with on a number of occasions. And the story uh, of Jesus' experience has in the backdrop the influence of uh, the the Greco-Roman culture, which was big on what they would call the gymnasium. That is, uh, people went there and they worked out and they did all of these things for the body. But the other thing that they did was they were were really big on entertainment. And so all around uh, the the land of of occupation uh, that was otherwise known as um, the land of Israel, uh, there were all of these theaters that were being created so that performers could come out and they could ply their trade by putting on a drama and playing the part. And what would happen is um, the, the characters that were um, responsible for uh, being that person in the play, uh, did, do you know what the name was that they gave them? They were called the Upokrites or Hupokrites. I don't know if that sounds like a word that you're familiar with, 
but it just uh, it, it resonates with our word hypocrite, which means it's just a name for actor. It means you're playing the part. And when an actor would come on stage, uh, they would have a bag and, and they would carry that with them because inside the bag were all of the masks that they would wear in order to play the part. And, and, and the masks inside the bag uh, would have a variety of representations that would be used to describe the role. And Jesus was well aware that somehow this was carrying over into the life of God's people. And there were a number of times when Jesus looked at the religious leaders, and you know what he, you know what word he used? Hupocrites. They're just playing the part. Seventeen times he calls them out, and one time, uh, just a couple of uh, references that come from uh, uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, in it, he said uh, in chapter six, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites. And on he goes. And the thing that Jesus wanted you and I to be aware of is that it is deadly to our Christian faith to be like the actors. And if, if you don't believe me, just think for a minute about maybe some method actors that, that you're familiar with. I mean, how many of you have ever heard of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis or Meryl Streep? Uh, their whole approach is to investigate and research the role that they're called to play. And then they spend time basically living out what that persona would be by maybe associating with people who are like that. But at the end of their experience, when they're getting ready to perform, they've embodied the mindset of the character that they're supposed to play. And where this, where, where this became a problem, they would actually, in, in, in Jesus' day, they would tell the performers, you can only play this role for so long, and then after that, you need to give it to somebody else. And why did they have that fear? It was because if you played that role long enough, guess what? You would become that person. And that's the scary part. And if you ever, if you remember um, Heath Ledger when he played the Joker in the Batman movie, and shortly after that he committed suicide. And the problem was he so embodied the part that the personality of his character took over his personality. And he reflected on how it even took over his soul. And shortly thereafter, he ended up killing himself. And it is that serious whenever we just consider for a minute not living the life that we are truly called to live, but living a fake life or living a life of hiding where we really don't want people to know who we truly are. And perhaps if we do, they won't like what they see. And I have some good news for you if that's you. There are safe places, and especially your smaller group gatherings where people can feel a sense of trust and a sense of safety, that that can happen. 
Because God's whole design is to pull us out of hiding from other people by putting on a shadow self or putting on a mask and projecting to other people that we're someone that we're not. Because if we're just pretending or if we're posturing in a way that says, this is, this is who we are, this is the, the persona that I've created, then the fact of the matter is we can't really have a very, a very substantial relationship with anybody. We can't get too close. But the whole premise of the church is that we can get close. And we can get close in a safe way because that's really what it's all about. One of the reasons why the Pharisees had to project the persona is they honestly didn't want people to know that they were just messed up human beings like everybody else. And when you discover that you've got problems and your life is messy, that is actually the starting place for God to begin to truly transform us. It is that critical. Well, God looks at us and he says, I love you the way you are, but I love you enough not to keep you there. And when Paul was trying to help his friend Timothy, he was concerned Perhaps because he had a father that had abandoned him or had died and there were issues stemming from that. Perhaps because he was uncircumcised and he was meeting with Jews. I know in our context that doesn't really make any sense at all. But in his, being circumcised as a Jew meant something that would open doors and it would create influence. And so Paul was very concerned about Timothy's well-being, and he wanted to mentor him in a way that would transform him. He wanted to be that guy that said, no matter what, Timothy, I'm your safe place. I'm the person that you can go to, and I will always have your back, ten times out of ten. And I love that about Paul. Paul was a great mentor. Anybody ever have a mentor? Anybody ever want a mentor? Nobody. You're like, I'm good, pastor. It's awesome. Life's good. Chill. (laughs) Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you should. As God looks at you and I, he says, I'm not going to do the heavy lifting myself. I'm going to use my people, the body of Christ, as I work through them to bring about that change. And I have to be honest with you, I've had some good mentors who said, Leonard, I'm not getting anything out of this except, except the sheer pleasure of seeing God work through my life as I spend time with you, as I help you with things that you need to develop in your own life, as I call you out on things that you need to be called out on, but more importantly, as I create a safe place where you don't have to hide. And here's what Paul wrote, because this is critical. Timothy is at the church at Ephesus, and he, wrote, he writes in the book of Timothy, Second uh, uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1. He says to Timothy, my dear son, you know, the one whose father left him, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? 
But he goes on to say after premising that because he's his mentor. And he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And this was an important phrase that Paul had to make to Timothy to remind him of the new identity that he had. Because I think Timothy is probably like us. He's conflicted sometimes. Sometimes he's a little timid if you read through the other writings about him. There are times when I'm sure that he's insecure. I'm confident there was fear. And Paul said, I just got to keep lifting him up. But what the cool thing about this statement, of course, you probably don't read Greek uh, and I'm not, I'm not so great at it. But I can tell you this, that phrase, sincere faith, is the word ana, which is um, no or not, to negation. Upokrites, which means no hypocrisy. It's sincere. And Paul is saying, unlike all those people that Jesus talked about who were hypocrites, the thing I love about you, Timothy, is you are making large strides in displaying sincere faith. And I don't know about you, but I'll take a sincere person over a polished person 10 times out of 10. Because I know at least where they are. And this really is the problem in the whole equation that Paul is trying to get us to wrap our minds around. And God, in the larger frame of the storyline, wants us to see as well that we no longer need to hide. We no longer need to put... Well, yeah, you do need to stay clothed. Please, stay clothed. Uh, But it's a metaphor for covering up. And here's the thing. Many of us wear masks, and these masks cover up the things God wants to heal, redeem, and restore. And see, when 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 an actor would ply his trade and he would pull out masks and I just happen to have all the you guys say I wonder what Leonard carries around in this bag well the reality is I carry these you're thinking huh what I thought there was a computer and I thought he said that was his office well this is what I carry because these are masks that I'm actually trying to get rid of and the thing about masks is They protect you from having other people see what's really there. Here's a mask that I've worn before. Looks pretty good on me, doesn't it? I sound not like Darth Vader, but Darth Lego. And since we have a Lego theme going here, I just wanted to expand on it a little bit. And the mask that this really represents is one that I wasn't even aware that I was wearing. Uh, but it, it was, it's one that runs deep. And that is the performer. That is you find your identity in your achievements and your successes. I wasn't very good at sports in high school or junior high. But 
the one thing I was good at, and Bob Martin uh, can, can, can also attest to this, was racing motorcycles. And the thing that I always liked was every year the newspaper would come and they would look at your trophies and we'd go out and we'd display our bikes and our trophies. We're a small town, it was a story. And they would, they would showcase that in the newspaper, like on the back page near the one ads. And they would say... But I would be like, awesome. But I would see how many trophies my friends had versus I had. And my job was to get more trophies. Because it was through the achievement that I found my identity. And I thought after I became a Christian that that had changed. And that my sense of identity wasn't wrapped up in my performance anymore. I I knew I was saved by grace, but... Oddly enough, that one just came back up like a -a whack-a-mole. And I remember being in seminary, and I'm thinking, all right, this is the big leagues here. We're out to prove ourselves. And so I wanted to be that guy that knew everything. I wasn't trying to be the know-it-all. I just wanted to know it all. And so I would spend a lot of time in the library after class just going through academic articles. Shocking, isn't it? And, um, and, and just trying to understand the lay of the land. Part of it was because I, I really wanted to know, but part of it was I wanted to perform. And I realized that that was probably not healthy because it carried over into my attitude towards other seminarians. And the relationships that I had with them were more competitive than they were cooperative. And the performer in me said, you know, my job here is to create a persona that says, Leonard's a smart guy. And maybe, just maybe, if I get a doctorate or something, I can be a professor or something like that and be a really smart guy. The problem is, when you wear this mask, you define everything in performance-oriented terms. And it's all about what I've done. And there's no room for grace. And I think Paul was saying, Timothy, don't wear this mask. Because you don't need to prove anything to anyone anymore. You're a son. You live in the inheritance that God has given you to live in. And so I take this Lego guy and I just put him aside and say, it's just me. Interestingly enough, you know what this Lego guy's name is? It's not James, but it's actually Jay. I was shocked. I'm like, okay, Jay the performer. Then there's Leonard the nerd. (laughs) Kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Okay, then there's another one. And this is one that I think some of you can get in this room. And that is the pleaser. And this is the person that says... I want everyone to like me. I want to help everyone. I want to know your needs before you even know your needs. And the pleasers always focusing on the other person, gauging their reaction, trying to understand what it is that is going through their mind so that, well, at the end of the day, so that that person isn't upset with them. And I think there's a little bit of pleaser perhaps in all of us. Even as a pastor going in, I remember thinking, I'm a pastor. I'm preaching the word of God. Why is that person upset with me? And it used to bother me. I used to think, well, they hate me. Well, no, they don't hate you. You just rub them the wrong way for some reason that I don't always know. And I used to think, I can't sleep until I know that that person likes me. Somewhere along the way, God said, 
Uh, there are people that didn't like my son for reasons that had a lot to do with misunderstanding. They're probably not going to like you sometimes either. And there's probably people in the room right now where you don't like me. Well, I'm, I do want to help. I do want to, if I can, please. But I have one person that I'm trying to please. I have an audience of one instead of an audience of everyone. Who is that audience of one? It's the Lord. He's just following us around everywhere. And he's saying, you're my son. Live like my son. You're my daughter. Just know that you're loved. And God looks at you and I and he says, if you keep bending towards pleasing other people all the time, you're like a tree. And eventually, you know what? That tree's going to snap. And it might be because... This is the occupational hazard of a, of a pleaser. You're spending so much time thinking about what other people think and trying to meet their approval that you don't spend enough time on yourself and loving yourself as God loved you and you don't spend enough time maybe knowing God in a way that is personal and intimate and is descriptive of him as a father. When I got comfortable in my own skin as a child of God, it made it very easy for me to say, people are not going to like you. People are not going to include you. People are going to probably say some mean and nasty things. Some of them... I probably will have earned. Many of them, probably not. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I know that you're scared. Ephesus is an intimidating town, but don't spend all your time worrying about what other people think. Well, just trust the fact that you are loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by mentors, hopefully. Hopefully you have a mentor. And if not, there are pleasers who really need to have you as that person that says, I'm your safe place. And it's a wonderful experience to be that for other people. Thirdly, there's the perfecter. And I'm just going to rush through this real quickly. The perfecter is the person who says... You know what? I kind of have a little bit of a mad posture because I want things done right all the time. I want things to be in order. I have a high bar on how things should be done. Now, you don't know this, but I'm often very critical of myself. However, I find it easier to be even more critical of other people. And if there's something that needs to be done, no one else can do it but me, because I'm the only one who can do it right. And the perfecter will, won't say when he or she is getting ready to do something, God, I need some help here. Brother, the perfecter will say, I did it. I did it my way. And in the last hour of the whole thing, I'll ask God, God, bless what I've done. And the perfecter is someone who cannot show any vulnerabilities you have to have it all together. Everything on the outside has to be perfect. Your 
family has to be perfect. Your presentation has to be perfect. Your job has to be perfect. But on the inside, the weight of that pressure is crushing. And Paul says to Timothy, don't pretend like you have it all together. Don't pretend like, or don't act like you have some kind of perfectionist faith. I have to tell you something. I am sure that if I read the Bible and I read my life, there's huge gaps in between there. Sometimes frightening gaps. And I could find that very crushing because I don't weigh or meet up to the standard. There is one word that I think makes it all work, perfectors. You know what word that is? Grace. When Paul talked to Timothy, he said, May God's grace and mercy and peace be with you. Because he knew that we cannot take these masks off unless we have grace and mercy and the peace of God that passes all understanding. But here's the last one. And maybe this is a mask that you've worn. It's the pretender. How many of us have been in our families or our social situations and we haven't always been honest? Maybe it's maybe somebody said, you read that book? Oh yeah, I read that book. Or you saw that movie? Yeah, I saw that movie. But in reality, you didn't see the movie. Well, sometimes we do just to fit in. We say what people want to hear in order to be accepted. And the pretender may be that person who really didn't get a lot of attention at, at one point, but always felt neglected or excluded. And the pretender is trying hard to be a part of a community. And so the pretender is prone to say whatever it is that people want to hear in order to be a part. And the problem with a pretender for any believer is that it is destructive for us to live in the realm of of things that aren't true. Because the lines between reality and what's not reality get blurred. And it's a dangerous place. You guys remember the tennis star Andre Agassi? Do you remember the Canon AE, AE1? No, the Canon Rebel commercial? What did he say? Image is what? Everything. You remember what a great... Did you guys... Anybody play tennis back then? I know Paul Heim did. Still plays tennis. Probably played with Andrew Agassi the way he plays. <laughs> but <clears throat> did you know there would be... So, and, and you saw him, he had this long flowing hair and he wore all this gear and he projected this image because image was everything. Can I tell you a little bit about as much as I admire him? He would occasionally just have these horrible games. And the reason why the games were so horrible, it wasn't that he... He wasn't playing up to his level. He could certainly do that. The problem was the hair that he was wearing was a wig and he could feel it coming off and he didn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody so he would default. Because image is everything. And any one of these masks can be put on from time to time in a variety of circumstances And we wear them because at the end of the day, we're hiding. Because we have things 
in our lives that make us feel like if people only knew we would be rejected by them and not included as part of the community. I want you to know something. If there's hypocrisy in the church, we have to root it out. But we also have to create a safe place where people feel like when I come here, these people love me. They accept me. Some of them are even starting to know my baggage. And yet they still love me and they still accept me. And you know why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is helping us to love on one another through one another. Because we've, have, we've accepted the fact that, you know, my, my middle name, it's, it's not James. I kind of like it J. It's kind of like Harry S. Truman. It's Leonard J. Moore. Because if somebody were to say, what does that J stand for? I would like to say it stands for Jesus. Because Jesus is in the middle of this whole thing. And it's only, only when the Leonard part and the Moore part work the best is when Jesus is in the center. In the absolute center. And when he's in the center, I feel pretty safe. Because I know... He's always there. Well, here's what we do in response. If this has struck your conscience or your your role as a part of this body, maybe there are some things that we can do to take those masks out of the picture. One is just name your mask. And I... I know that in various situations I've worn all those masks. That's why I carry them around. But my goal is to just identify when I'm wearing that mask so I can be the person that my people need me to be. And I don't know what your mask is. Some of you I think I do. But not everyone. And yet, I just want you to know, there's no reason to hide. God has given us indescribable good news. Here's the second thing. Identify the wound you're trying to cover up. And in my role, I've identified mine. And I've found healing. And I can take the mask off for that very reason. And the last one is simply this. Find a Paul if you need one to mentor you. There's Paul. There's a Paul right there. You're probably, I I don't want to point you out, but I always do, so I will. You're one of the older people in this group, truth be told. You've done a lot of things. You're a very interesting guy. You could be a Paul for a lot of us in this room. And maybe you need a Timothy because there's a lot of people who are wearing these masks who want to take the mask off, but there are no safe people in their world that they can take the mask off for. And so they just live constantly at a distance from the God who's calling them to come close. You're made for something better.